Father, we want to thank you again uh, for allowing us to be before you in your presence today. We ask you, Lord God, that you would again uh, continuously touch us, Lord God, that we may be receptive to your word we have before us, Lord. Lord God, we know that there's many voices that vie for our attention, that's trying to pull us to the left, to the right, up, down, uh, trying to stretch us like rubber bands. But Lord God, we're not rubber bands. Lord God, we do have a breaking point. Uh, we uh, have those times in which, Lord God, we just can't take it anymore. So this is why we come running to you, to direct us, to guide us, to give us wisdom, Lord God, to encourage us, Lord God, to correct us, Lord God, whatever you desire to do, Lord God. Speak to us clearly today. So, Father, we submit our minds and our hearts to you, and we ask you these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There are different ways and different reasons why we want to help someone make a decision. You know what I mean? Because every now and then someone will pull you to the side and ask you the question, can you help me here? Uh, can you help me to decide to do X, Y, and Z? But one of the reasons why we can make a decision, it, it, it could be for us, right? One of the reasons why we want to help someone else make a decision, it could be for our own reason. Another reason is because it could be for them, someone who needs our help, and we just want to uh, hold our hand out and say, here, let me help you. And then it could be for a third party. It may not necessarily be for us, it may not be for them, but it can be for someone else. But you know what I mean, and you know what it feels like to have someone help you make a decision. Sometimes those folks that want to help us, they really don't want to help us, but all they want to do is manipulate us. It seems as if they really want to get something out of the deal. You know this full well because after a decision has finally been made, all of a sudden they disappear and they are no more. It leaves you with a somewhat sinking feeling that you have been used in some way. You don't know, quite know how it happened, but you know that it did happen. It was, it was supposed to benefit you, but somehow you feel as if you've been used. But then it's still okay help a person come to a decision if it does not help us and if it does not harm someone else it's okay you and I we don't need to be manipulative then there are moments when you want to help someone else make a decision and it is truly purely for the other person this is one of the most noblest things that you can possibly do like uh, help uh, the old lady across the street. Have you ever done that before? Driving down the street and just stop your car and help someone across the street? 
helping someone make a decision and reach that point to help them so that they can be lifted up and so that they can arrive to that place where they need to be. Help them to further their career, to get a job, to choose a mate, improve in school, in thinking, and even in their relationship with the Lord. All these, uh, they can come together so we can help them. But finally, there are times when we help others make a decision because it will be beneficial to a third person. You see, it's not for us and the person that we're trying to help. They may not see it all the way because they are blinded for one reason or another. Uh, So we know within our hearts that we can see if they make the right decision that it's going to help this third person. So there are many motives in getting someone to make a decision or change their minds about one thing or another. Today we're going to hear about a complex set of circumstances in which a decision needs to be made about a man named Onesimus. It is complex because it has to do with his possible future and how he will live out the rest of his life. It's complex because it entirely rests on how well one individual, an individual is Paul, can speak on behalf of Onesimus to this person named Philemon, whom Philemon may have been wronged by this Onesimus. It is complex because in the way uh, everyone has flesh in the game. Paul has flesh in the game. Philemon has flesh in the game. And Onesimus useful, that is. He has flesh in the game. Many reputations are at stake, and the life of one is on the line. Yet, in this time of decision-making and compromise, there is one who will ultimately become very prominent in the discussion, and that is Jesus. See, Jesus is really, throughout this entire story, about uh, Philemon and Onesimus. and For that matter, even uh, how does Paul play his part? So what would Jesus do? WWJD? But more importantly, not only what would Jesus do, WWJW. What would Jesus want? What would Jesus want? So working things out between us, people that we know, people that we don't know, that it can be tricky. And sometimes it can get a bit messy. But the Holy Spirit, He always leads and He guides us perfectly if we care to listen. So let's begin this journey by turning to Philemon chapter 1, not chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Philemon, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, 
Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So here, our, our first point is that, that we need to learn when and when not to use our position or title in the decision-making process. When and when not to use your position and or your title in the decision-making process. Well, again, the purpose of this letter, uh, the purpose of this letter was for the Apostle Paul to encourage Philemon to uh, permanently release Onesimus from his position as slave in his household. Yeah. So uh, Paul was trying to encourage Philemon uh, to let his people go, to let Onesimus go, to release him from being enslaved in his house. But I need for you to remember something. That during this time that uh, when you became a slave, it wasn't because someone ran into the country, your country of origin, and, and shackled you and took you to a new country, typically. It did happen, uh, but, but, but not within this society. That people typically became slaves. Why? Because they owed money. They had incurred a debt. They couldn't pay it, so they would be enslaved. So it's not like today where you could file uh, chapter 11 or chapter 13 bankruptcy. Well, look, I ain't got no money, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to the judge, and he's going to help me out of this. No, it wasn't like that. If you don't have the money, guess what? They would enslave you. And guess what? If you owe too much money, not only would they enslave you, but they would also enslave your wife and your kids, all because you owe money. So what does that tell us? That one of the things that uh, we should understand that even if we are in debt today, we need to get out of debt. Amen? Now go ahead go ahead and say it. There it is. Get out of debt. Well, no, nobody, nobody is going to come and, and shackle you. Well, I don't think they will, right? Amen? Uh, no one is going to come and shackle you because you owe money. But one thing that you know, that you know, that you know, you know, that when you are in debt, you feel like you are a slave. Amen? You feel like you have been enslaved to Chase or Citibank or Wells Fargo, or that they are your masters. And you know what it is because... Uh, if you've ever gotten out of debt, and I hope that you have, if you've ever gotten out of debt, if you've ever finally paid one of the bills off, how do you feel? How do you feel? You feel what? You, you know that word. Start with the letter F-R-E-E. -E. What is it? Free. You feel free. You feel like uh, yet another shackle has come loose once you've paid that debt. Amen. And what's interesting, some people, they still don't get it. And the next thing they want to go, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to charge something else up right after that, right? That's the next thing they want to Let me go ahead. Now that I got this money free, let me go ahead and charge something else up. They're right back in debt. Look, don't be a slave 
to debt. When you pay it off, keep yourself free. Why? Come, come on, come on. Face it. Look. Look. Why would we pay thousands of dollars in interest for a waffle iron and then when it's time to come to church, we want to give God 50 cents? Why would we be in debt for going to a restaurant, paying interest because we really didn't have the money, we shouldn't be there, for paying for a meal, we're going to pay for that meal for the next year. And then when it comes to God, all of a sudden, we want to get stingy. Right? So anyway, I, I didn't mean to go there, but the Lord allowed me to step there just for a moment. If that's you, ask the Lord to give you wisdom. So, unable to pay off the debt, again, they would be enslaved here in this ancient time to the, leader, uh, to, to the lender until that debt was satisfied. They would not let you and your family go until you were done. If these rules were still in effect today, how many of us would really be enslaved to our banks? Come on. I know I said I, know I, said I was going to stop it, but come on. Come on, when we are in debt to our banks, okay, if you have a mortgage, okay, I, I get it, I get it. But all this other stuff, do you really need the latest new car? Maybe not. Let's go on. But understand that this type of slavery during this time, it was not the brutal slavery that we are familiar with in America. You remember that slavery in which it enslaved people and, 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 and separated families and, 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 and uh, rejected the rights of human beings because they wanted to make money off of these individuals. So now, however, uh, we should not be naive to think that, that during this ancient time that there was no brutality. There was, there was never, that thing never existed because I'm sure that it did. But as a whole, uh, this was the reason why people were enslaved. But all of this is a complex nature that is dealt with in this very short book. In fact, this book is one chapter long, and this one chapter long is really nothing but a letter from one person to the next. So, Having a position and a title here for Paul opens a door. Uh, but uh, if your position or your title opens the door for you, that does not mean that you should force the door open. You see, uh, just because you have the title, just because uh, you can command, just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. Paul was able to speak directly and up front with Philemon because he indeed had apostolic authority. He had the authority. Look, uh, again, verse 8. This is the reason why Paul said, here it is, verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul says, I'm bold enough in Christ. 
He's, he, he's confident in his position within Christ, but he was also confident in his position as apostolic authority as well. You know, at other times, Paul, he quickly and rightfully asserted his ap- ap- uh, apostleship as, as reasoning uh, for saying what needed to be said and doing what needed to be done. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. He says here, this is Paul speaking. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Uh, See here, Paul, what he was doing, he was uh, really asserting his uh, apostleship. This is what he was doing. Am I not an apostle? In other words, as an apostle, I have a right to say or to do the things that I need to do for the body of Christ. Yet, if our minds are not right, it is easy for us to call out our titles when there's a problem to solve and the authority to back it up, right? Uh, that we, we want to be so quick to say that I am, uh, you know, I, I, I love it, I, I hear it all the time, right? I hear it all the time. You know, people introduce themselves, and there I, I am. I'm not going to even say it, but you know, you, you've heard it yourself, right? People call themselves apostles, or this, or the that, or that, whatever. You know, Paul, uh, he, even though he was an apostle, he called himself Paul. I, Paul, look, I'm just a regular person. But you see here, wow, you can easily assert your title, and you can say, I need for you to do this. Why? Because I said so, right? That, that worked really easy with your kids, especially when they're young, doesn't it? You tell your kids, they, they start asking you a question, but, but dad, but dad, why do I have to do this? It's because you, you try to reason, well, let us reason together, son, uh, because uh, this helps the family. But why, why, but why do, you, you heard it before, but why do I have to do it, Right? Uh, well, because it's right, your brother, your sister, they had their turn, now it's your turn, but, but, but I don't understand why, and then finally you get so fed up, you, you say, you want to know why, you want to know why, and you say what, because I said so, why because I said so, because I'm your daddy, or I'm your mama, that's why, we assert that authority of that, ty- uh, of that title that we have, right, we began to say to ourselves, because if you don't do it, you know, you, you've heard it before. You may have said it. I brought you into this world. What? And I'll take you out. There's a lot at stake. But not only that, you, you've also heard it in different ways, right? You've heard it on your job. I've heard it, I, I, I've heard it on my jobs before. When that lead on your job, when they tell you because I am your boss, right? Or because I have hired you. Now, we're not going to talk about why they said what they said, because that is a different matter altogether. You could have been wrong, right? You could have been wrong, and that's why they needed to assert their, their particular title. But here Paul was not so quick to do so. 
So operating under that authority in Christ gives us no reason to be sorry for setting things straight among God's people. If we're setting things straight among God's people, it's okay. Why? Because it is all for Christ's sake and for His name. There is an honorable spiritual authority within the body of Christ, and it should, however, be used properly. But something very interesting has happened to Paul now. While Paul may not have been shy in using his spiritual authority, he, he, he moves in a different direction now. And here, we find out that we need to know what season of life we're in. We need to know what season of life we're in. What do you mean? Again, uh, between verses 8 and 9, he says, Paul calls him, so he said, I, Paul, he says, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. You know, time and place have a strange way of changing the way we think about people and think about things. Amen? Time and place, and, and, and sometimes even circumstances. Sometimes you can get in a circumstance that is so bad that we can eventually say, you know what, Jesus, I messed up. Whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do to get out of this mess now, I will do it. Remember, it was the same Paul who once hunted Christians. He hunted them from town to town to persecute them before he knew who Christ was. It was the same Paul who called Peter. He looked at Peter and said, you hypocrite! He called the apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years. He looked at Peter and said, you hypocrite! How dare you try to separate Jews from Gentiles. We are all one in the body of Christ. You know this. You've known this. And now you've made a 360, a 180. You've turned around all together. Paul said, you're a hypocrite. But you see, when you get older, things should change, right? And you've heard me say it before, and you've heard this phrase before. There's no fool like an old fool. There's no fool like an old fool. As you age, you gain more experience. And you understand, at least you should, amen? Right? You're supposed to gain more. You're supposed to get better as you get older, right? You're not supposed to revert to a two or three or four-year-old as you get older. Because if that's the case, we know there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you if that's the case. So you're supposed to understand people a little better than you did before. And this insight allows you to rely on the strength of Jesus more to accomplish all things that you once did on your own. All things that you once did in your own strength. This is, uh, uh, this is one of the reasons... Uh, and again, I, I've explained to you this before, but this is one of the reasons that uh, when I studied martial arts, you didn't see many kids with upper rank. It, it was rare. It was, a, it was a rare and it was a special thing if you ever saw a kid with a higher rank belt. And the reason being is because as a kid, the kids just did stupid stuff. 
They want to go out and show off what they learned in, in karate today. Whereas as you begin to mature, even in, within that art form, you understand, man, this is, this is some dangerous stuff. And the last thing you want to do is to get into a fight. So in, instead of appealing to Philemon with his authority, Paul instead opts to appeal to Philemon out of love. What? You mean you're carrying apostolic authority and you can tell this man what he needs to do and you have the power of the Holy Spirit to back you up, but instead you're going you're gonna to uh, help him make a decision out of love? Well, I know within our society this seems a little wimpish. What man would, what, what real man would make a decision out of love? But isn't this how Jesus has dealt with us? The verse goes, for God so what? Love the world. Not for God so hated the world, but uh, for God so loved the world. Come on, God has all power and he can bring down all wrath upon us, but instead he shows his love. Choosing love instead of wrath means that he set aside judgment in order to deliver correction and salvation. After all, what do you do for a child who does wrong but don't know exactly what they're doing? At least the first time you kind of give them a break, amen? Second time you say, okay, now we got a problem. Or third time, now you know we got a problem on our hand. But the first time when they're just being, when they're just being a kid, you kind of give them a break. Because you want to show them love. Sit down and talk to them and say, this is what you do and this is what you don't do. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. And then Galatians 2 Verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, what? Loved me and gave himself for me. See that? And the life I now live, the life that you now live in the flesh, uh, what you're doing right now, you live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because He loved us. And He gave Himself for us. That is spectacular love. Each of these verses emphasizes the fact that instead of using his judgment and his wrath to deal with the problem, that God chose instead to operate out of his, his great love. He could have very well been within his holiness and his right to execute a warrant for our life, but instead he opted for love. Well, okay, I hear what you're saying. Is love a successful method with for dealing with people. Can you deal with people out of love? I have to admit, right, right at this second, I'm, I'm thinking about my brother here who, who, who works at the Cook County Jail. I won't mention your name because you, uh, you'll be on tape. But um, 
who's at the jail, and I'm just thinking to myself right now, okay, if you're working at the jail and you're dealing with all these folks, uh, how, how do you operate out of love there? Folks who, folks who want to come after you. Yeah, I know, I know you want to hurt me, but let me just hug you, right? How do you show the love of Christ there? You see, that's, it's a very complex issue. So is love a successful method of dealing with people? Well, on the other hand, sometimes to show people that you really love them, sometimes they may have to get hurt. Amen? Okay, now I'm not saying go out and hurt people today. Amen? Yes? Yes. Because some people will open their hearts to receive the love of God and the correction that comes along with it. While others will reject that love as we will see and as you have seen in the book of Revelation. Some people will refuse God's love uh, based on them trying to be their own man or their own woman and not uh, deciding to bow down to God. I was uh, uh, talking to uh, a person yesterday, and this person told me, he said, he said, Pastor Spencer, I want you to know that God delivered me from crack. He said that he was a crackhead, heroin. And he said that somehow when his firstborn, uh, his, his first kid was born, he looked at this baby and he just began to cry out to God. And he said from that moment that God delivered him from that drug. He says never again. And then he says, he says, therefore, when people tell me that God does not exist, he says, is that what you think? He says, guess again, God did exist and God has delivered me because if he hadn't delivered me, that I would be dead today. He knows about Jesus. He has experienced the power of the Spirit in his life. So when people say that they're not going to bow down a knee to Jesus Christ, he says, is that what you think? Well, I have a different story for you. There's a different reality that you will face. He says, because every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, right? That Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. So people, they will reject and they may even ignore the love of God. But we move on. So will knowing uh, people may reject your leading them out of love permanently stop you from demonstrating love towards them. See, that's, that's the other issue. If you know some folks are not going to like this love thing, right, you're going to start loving folks, right? If that's, the, if that's the case, will it stop you from leading out of love? We must face this question. We must decide whether or not we have the time or the desire to lead out of love uh, yet one more time because it can wear you out. We will undoubtedly remember the time when we got burned and got burned bad. How could this happen among believers? How could this happen in the church? Why, we say. We again come face to face with the prospect of showing our love when we may not be loved. 
You will be tempted to lower the hammer on people without an ounce of remorse. Why? Because they deserve it. You deserve this. You don't deserve my love. You deserve the hammer on your head. You know, all of us work with people on one level or another. What will happen if you try to lead by appealing to love? Will it be effective? Will they accept you the first time and then try to run over you afterwards? Because that can happen. Do you dare lead out of a heart of love on your job at your school and in your community? Do you dare lead out of love? The interesting thing is that we know that we should. We know that we should. Deep down inside, we all know it's the right thing to do. Yet we hesitate because we know how folks are. We know how they will burn you the first chance they get. And you know, the Apostle Paul, he was no different. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Timothy 4, 14. Paul said this. Paul was burned. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. I mean, Paul was, Paul was hurt. Paul was hurt. He goes on to say, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You see? Uh, Paul was in that place. He, he got burned. Somebody was supposed to come and help him, and then they turned out that they end up acting like a devil, right? He says that this Alexander, he did me great harm. This is why I love the Word of God, because the Word of God tells the truth uh, from, even from the human perspective. We see people that are broken, people that are jacked up. We needed to hear this. We need to hear that Paul was hurt by this Alexander. But then Paul said, but that's okay. He may hurt me, but I want the Lord to sick him. I want the Lord to repay him according to all his deeds. Now Paul could have said, never again. Never again will I ex extend myself out of love. But instead he dove in because he was looking to Jesus as his strength. Now as an old man, Paul, he advocates love. When dealing with Philemon, again, Philemon 1.9, yet for love's sake, he says, I prefer to appeal to you. When you know what is right, you must do the right thing. But there's another step in helping others come to the right decision. It is something that can't be utilized at the last minute because many times it takes a lifetime to develop. Well, what is it? It's called authentic personal connections. Authentic, personal connections. And they are very effective. Verse 10 in Philemon. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. All right? Now, I want you to know that Onesimus, he was not born in prison, right? So he was not his daddy daddy. Right? It has to do with that he led him to faith. Formerly, it says, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me 
in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. See, uh, Paul, what he was saying was that, he says, look, I want you to know a couple of things about Onesimus. I want you to know about what I'm doing here in, in this letter, that I, if I could, I could exercise my apostolic authority, but I want you to do this one thing because you want to do it. It's acceptable to speak on someone's behalf when they're in a tough situation. But first, I want to warn you that you yourself must be the right person for the job. You yourself must be the right person for the job. In other words, you must have some type of standing with the one whom you will speak. You should not be a total stranger in the process. You yourself must have been found faithful and honest in many things before you run and try to help somebody else out. Now I know this may not always be possible, yet it is the strongest possible position to be in. Sometimes you may find yourself being thrust into a situation because you're the only one that folks think can handle it. And if this is the case, this means that God has called you into that situation. Yeah, you may not be perfect, but God has called you, so do what God has called you to do. So both Onesimus and Philemon knew who Paul was because he had at least led Onesimus to the Lord. Paul here, he was in a strong position. And both Paul and Philemon uh, knew and understood that Paul was, uh, 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 Onesimus and, and Philemon knew that Paul was well respected in the Christian world. What do people think about when they think of your name? Are you someone that they could trust? Are you someone that uh, they know that... Uh, they know that you'll be a good arbiter and honest. Your reputation can either open doors or close them for you. Paul had standing because he led Onesimus to Christ. That's what he says in verse 10, whose father I became. So he met uh, Onesimus somehow in prison because he was in prison. But Paul was also moved to say this. Look at this in Philemon verses 18 and 19. Philemon 18 and 19. Speaking of Onesimus, he says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So even in this case, Paul was ready to make things right. He was willing to put his own reputation on the line in favor of Onesimus, who was in trouble with Philemon. It's unsettling to put your name before someone and put it on the line for someone that you just met. Would you ever do that? Would you ever put your own reputation at stake for someone you've only known just for a short period of time? Would you do it for Christ, however? I, just, I think this is what Paul has done. So the, can the person you're trying to help be useful to themselves and to others? 
Paul was about to find out because he was about to send Onesimus on a missionary journey. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And I'm reading now. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9. And with him, look at this, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So what's, what's the story here with Colossians and uh, Onesimus? And so well, we believe what is going on here that Paul, he wrote this letter to the Colossians and later he wrote this letter to Philemon. Philemon, whom we believe lived in Colossae. Right? So he lived there. So therefore, how Paul was going to utilize Onesimus first within the ministry to deliver the letters to the Colossians. And then afterwards, uh, he would take this letter. Uh, mind you, does that make sense? That, that, that Onesimus would accompany the very, this very letter uh, that we have here in his hand and he would give it to his master. Would you do that? The very letter that you had to hand to someone that it may cost you your own freedom, would you actually go back? Man, that's a tough one. See, here was a chance for Onesimus to prove his worth by witnessing to the Colossians about the life, work, and imprisonment of Paul, and even to Philemon. This is important to know because how else will the one you're appealing to ever want to do what you're asking of them. It means that if you are the one who have received mercy again and again, you must no longer take advantage of the situation by being useless and instead be useful. Look again at what Paul said to Philemon here. Uh, verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed Useful to you and to me. What has changed about Onesimus all of a sudden? You know, and then we should begin to wonder, okay, if Onesimus was a slave and he didn't know Christ and he ran away from Philemon, was Philemon a Christian? And if Philemon was a Christian. Why did he have slaves? Why did he have slaves? And then, what was so bad about the situation that Onesimus, if Philemon had full rights to hold a slave, according to their society, what was so bad that Onesimus had to run away? Well, Maybe he just wanted to be free. Let us us free, right? Maybe he just wanted to get from up out of there. But now Onesimus was following Jesus Christ. 
Was his attitude or his pulling, was it his attitude or his pulling himself up by the bootstraps that changed? No. What changed his life was Jesus Christ. One of the things Paul had on his side was the Holy Spirit. And he had the experience, and now he has the age, his age on his side. It may not have made Paul perfect, but it certainly went a long way in knowing the heart of Onesimus and Philemon. So it is well time for us to mature in our faith and show a greater reliance upon the Lord in all of our situations. So if we are going to begin to engage the heart of someone else to help them make a decision, it starts by us being engaged with Christ and sometimes walking through these situations very gingerly. Let's pray. Father, again, we want to thank you for the words.